So, uh, taking a break again into Ecclesiastes, and, and we had stopped last time in Ecclesiastes 5. Uh, we talked about worship and, and the role that it should play in our lives, and, and the caution you should use as you approach God in your worship. Now we turn in uh, chapter 5, verse 10, and we're going to work through the end of chapter 6 here. Um, dealing specifically with satisfaction in life and the importance of being satisfied. And one of the things with Ecclesiastes that we've pointed out is there's this term under the sun and it's contrasted with under heaven. And under the sun deals with what is life like on this earth for all who walk. Whether you acknowledge that God is the one in control of everything in your life or you, or you deny that fact that God makes self-evident. All of us live and toil under the sun. And what is life like under the sun? And, and Solomon and all his wisdom that he was granted by God speaks here of things that, that then get expounded, we've seen so far in other places of Scripture. And this certainly, we're going to turn to First Timothy later and we're going to see how Paul himself comes and and expounds upon what we find here. But just bear in mind that this is is the way God made life work. He had given us a manual on how is it that that life exists for mankind. This is what that is. Uh, So we can trust it that these things are true, and I think you'll find these things in your own life. In fact, if we start there in verse 10, he who loves money will, will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. So in my own life, I could throw in, instead of money, I could throw in the word bicycles. He who loves bicycles will not be satisfied with bicycles, nor their abundance. Uh, this too is vanity. And the joke is, how many... How many bikes does it take to actually be happy and it's n plus one n being the number that you own you just need one more right ross yes it's nice to not be alone up here um and we have that problem and i just want to say that i am down to just three bicycles i i tend to give them away and that allows me to go buy more um but you can fill in whatever that is in your own life, whether it's, and, and I'm a guy, so I, I don't know what women do, Tupperware collections, I don't know, I do, I do, I, guys have guns and, and other things, oddly enough, I struggle with that too. Um, we all have those things, that, and we can, we can see that, hey, yeah, this is true, and I do like that this passage or this section that we're going to go through starts with something that's so relatable to all of us. We have those things that we enjoy, um, and we talked about collecting even earlier in Ecclesiastes, um, but we all know that the more of those things we have, the more we want. It can't just end with the one thing, and it is also futility. <clears throat> it gets to a point where you realize that these things can never bring a happiness or a satisfaction, that it just takes continual accruing and gathering of these things together. And that is futility. And then this other comment that I think is really true, when good things increase, those who consume them increase. 
So what's the advantage of the owner except to look on? And I think what we're getting here is the picture of, I have something that's unique that no one else has. And with time, everyone else sees those things and then everyone else has them. Or as the economy that you're living in, the economic situation that you're living in, in whatever the country or the region you're in, as it increases those who have nice things, a lot of other people have those nice things. You know, if you'd have gone out 10 years ago and looked for heavy-duty pickups with lift kits and oversized tires that have a lot of, a lot of bump on them and, and stick out quite a ways, you wouldn't see too many. And now somebody came up with the idea and everyone has them. They're all over the place. You see that in my own life with gravel bicycles. Everyone's now shifting to that. And there's no longer, you're no longer the cool kid on the block. Again, the, the futility of, of the acquiring of things now, now, we're going to see that it's, it's the acquiring of things and needing them to meet your satisfaction. But there is a benefit to having things that are nice and being satisfied with them. Or looking at something and saying, that is really nice. I like that. Without having your, your mind uh, compelled to have to have those things, to be, to be overwhelmed by the need of those things. Those are going to be different here. We're going to see that... that even for those who live under the sun and do not acknowledge God and His role in their life, God has provided a common grace of being satisfied, of having that contentment. So your non-believing friends, God has been gracious enough to them to give them ways in this life for them to find satisfaction. The third, the third way he, he phrases this is the sleep of a working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. Talking about the man who is out there doing work day after day after day. At the end of the day, no matter what he's gone through, sleep can come to him and he can get some rest. And that's enjoyable. But those that have much and consume much and fill themselves constantly with their excess, it does make sleep difficult. And again, I won't go through it, but obviously uh, I think most of us have experienced what it's like to eat way too much and the trouble it can bring to you in the night. There's a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. And then he explains what this is. He says, when those riches were lost through a bad investment and he had fathered a son, then there was nothing to support him. As he had come naked from his mother's womb, so he will return as he came. He will take nothing from the fruit of his labor that he can carry in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Exactly as a man is born, thus will he die. So what is the advantage to him who toils for the wind? Throughout his life, he also eats in darkness with great vexation, sickness, and anger. So here's the picture of somebody who has toiled their whole life, who has worked hard for what it is that they, they have acquired and they've, they've, they've consumed or they've brought it all to themselves and they're guarding it closely. New American has a word hoarded in, in verse 13 and, and a more direct translation would be guarded. Somebody who acquires things and guards them and collects them and has them all. And it talks about the fact that all those things can be lost, even, even through good hard work and the bringing of, of possessions into your life. 
whether those possessions are good or bad, they're all, in this case, are lost in a bad investment. And he has nothing to support himself, nothing to support his family, even though he had worked hard for these things and hard to keep these things. Things happen that are out of your control. And then you add to that that in this life, you come in naked and you leave naked. Nothing you take takes with you. Now there's some hope in that in the fact that you do carry on, but you don't carry on with any of the fruit of your labor. And it's interesting that the Bible says this is a grievous evil, that the things that you acquire in this life you do not get to take with you, that death separates you from the, the fruit of your labor when it's a material possession under the sun type labor. And we all are faced with that. So what advantage is there? Why, why even work hard? If you can go out and we tell our kids this, you know, you need to go to school or you need to get a job, um, you need to find some purpose in your life, something you enjoy, you need to go do it. We need to be careful that when we talk to them and when we talk to our own hearts, that it isn't so that you can acquire things like, I can now live safely in a good neighborhood and have a nice car to drive and be able to support my church and be generous with people and all these things that aren't necessarily bad. But understand, just because you lay those plans doesn't mean it's going to come to fruition. Thus the vanity of the world. Thus, thus the grievous evil that Solomon speaks of here. Just because you do things and you have the intention to help build yourself up and be secure does not mean that that's how things happen in this life. There's other things that can take place that takes all that away from you. Verse 18, then, here's what I've seen to be good and fitting. Just understand, this is Solomon himself telling us this. To eat, to drink, and to enjoy oneself in all one's labor under which he toils under the sun during the few years of his life which God has given him. For this is his reward. So whether, again, whether you know and understand that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died for your sins, was risen again, and gives you hope for all eternity, if you're in that camp, if you have that faith and that hope, <clears throat> or you do not, all people who live under the sun, <clears throat> excuse me, God has given us all the ability to do work and to eat and drink and enjoy the, 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 the produce of that work, the, the outcome of, of your toil. God has allowed us to, to actually benefit in most situations from the work that we do in this life. Work itself here is presented as, as it's not a bad thing. What can happen as we move forward through life, if we lose things or if things are taken from us that's outside of our control, yes, that's true, those things can take place, but overall, the general reality of life is that you eat what you kill. You, you harvest what you sow, and that's a good thing. It's a thing that's actually given by God. And he even mentions here just the very brief period of life of which we are given. But it is referred to as a reward. It is referred to as a good thing that we are given. This work and the ability to enjoy one's fruit of one's labor. 
Verse 19 then, furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice, rejoice in his labor. This is the gift from God. For he will not consider the years of his life because God is, keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. Just an amazing outpouring of the grace of God in how he made this world to work. Every man that God has granted riches and wealth, who's granted him possessions, God has also granted us the ability to take those things and enjoy those things, whether it's, it's as I've mentioned, bicycles or whatever it is that your thing is. You have been granted the ability to not only hold those things and possess them, but then to enjoy them with food, to eat that food and enjoy the flavors and enjoy the, the satisfaction of your appetites. All these things that you work hard for and, and are given to you, they're actually a gift from God for you to enjoy, regardless of your position in Christ, regardless of your understanding of who God is. God has given this. And we see this. We see unbelievers who have things and they enjoy them. Their ability to have things and enjoy them is a gift from God himself to the unbeliever. God gives grace to all on this earth. And he allows some to have more of that grace than others in all areas. None of us are the same. And as, as he mentioned the brevity of life above, he mentions it again here. For we will not often consider the years of his life because God keeps him occupied with the gladness of his heart. You think of the man who labors in a coal mine for his entire life and is, goes home to his family and provides for them and has a little bit of something that he can have for himself that he can enjoy, a small home that he can call his own, his dog that he can call his and enjoy, all these things that he surrounds himself with and even the most simple life of the, of the most uh, laborious occupation that you can think of God grants those people a distraction from the futility of what this life is. And that's a grace from God. He gives us all that. All of us live in life that your life is not very long, except for maybe Dave's. Dave's life is really long. No. God gives us, even Dave's life is short in the span of what we have here on earth. It's a short time period that God has given to us. And to help us, help distract us from the idea that our life is short and there's a lot of futility that goes on for all of us, God gives us these good things to keep us occupied and allows us to have this gladness of heart. Sports are another thing God has given us that we can preoccupy ourselves with to help veil us from the true futility that this life can have and some of those things can have. He talks about futility and he talks about grievous evil up in, in verse 16. These things are, are, are exactly that. It's a great description of what this life is when you think about possessions, when you think about the fact that you do enter naked and you leave naked. Why is it that we keep on continuing? How do we keep on going? Well, one of the ways we are able to is because God himself distracts us with our ability to enjoy 
the good things that He has given. Verse 6, there is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it's prevalent among men or upon men. So again, just to, just to emphasize once again that this is an evil thing. This is a bad thing. And it takes place under the sun. It, from a perspective without God involved, this is what life is like. A man whom God has given riches and wealth and honor so that his soul lacks nothing of all he desires, yet God has not empowered him to eat from them, for a foreigner enjoys them. This is vanity and a severe affliction. A man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they may be, but his soul is not satisfied with the good things, and he does not even have a proper burial. Then I say better a miscarriage than he, for it comes in futility and goes into obscurity, and its name, his name, its name is covered in obscurity. It never sees the sun, and it never knows anything. It is better off than he. Even if the other man lives a thousand years twice and does not enjoy good things, do not all go to one place. So here we have a picture of, I I think it's more two pictures, but we have the first one in in verse 2, we have a man who is given great riches, wealth, and honor. He lacks nothing that he desires, everything that he has. And those things are taken away. He, He loses these things. Somebody else comes in. And in those days, it would have been an invading army comes in or, or, or uh, marauders from a neighboring country, and they come and they take from what he possesses. And he spent all the time growing the crops. It was the fruit of his labor, and they come and they take it all from him, and it's gone. And that's a grievous evil that somebody would do all that work and not get to enjoy. Just as noted up above in chapter 5, God gives us these things, and he allows us to enjoy them, and it keeps us preoccupied and a grievous evil though occurs, even though that is the standard, it can happen that you do all the work and you get nothing from it. Then we have this next man, a man who fathers a hundred children and lives many years, however many they may be, but his soul is not satisfied with good things. So this is a person that is given the good things by God and all of us have the ability to enjoy those things, but this is the person that lasts, lacks the ability to be satisfied with good things. Continuing to acquire things, continuing to, to want more and desire more and want the next thing and continue to pursue those things. Does not have a burial. does not enjoy those things during his life. His life would have been better if it hadn't even happened. In fact, the graphic description here is of a miscarriage. Comes in futility. And for those of you that, that know somebody or if you yourself, this, this carries a lot more weight if you've been through this yourself. The, the futility of what a miscarriage is, the joy and the anticipation that is present with a pregnancy as you look forward to the future and you begin to make plans and you, you begin to think of what your life is going to be like with this child, and then it's all gone. It's gone and most people don't even, 
don't even know it happened to you, don't even understand the depth that it, it can scar you. Child very often doesn't even receive a name, just goes off into obscurity. Never sees the sun and the child never knows anything. That child that is lost is better off than the man who lives in this life, has everything and is not satisfied. If you are, this is strong words, but if you are somebody who has a real hard time being satisfied with all the good you've been given, and if you live in the United States, you have a lot of good. If you are a person who has that and is unable to be satisfied with these things, even if you live for thousands of years, you're better off if you would have been miscarried and never known the world, never known anything. There's this profound futility in that miscarried child. The futility of having a life and not enjoying what God has given you is even greater. Not enjoying, because part of satisfaction is enjoying. It's not being sad, I'm only satisfied if I have nothing. No, part of satisfaction is actually possessing something and enjoying what it is that you possess. Verse 7, then, all of a man's labor is, is for his mouth, and yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage does a wise man have over a fool? What advantage does a poor man have knowing how to walk before the living? What the eyes see is better than what the soul desires. This too is futility and striving after the wind. Again, this whole concept of the need to be satisfied with what you actually have. The work that you do is so that you can eat and so you can enjoy these things. But if you're not satisfied, then what advantage is there? Whether you're a wise man or a fool, there's no advantage. If you're a poor man or you're a rich man, if you cannot actually enjoy what it is that you have, there's no advantage. There's no benefit to being a person alive today. So certainly enjoying what it is you've been given and also not desiring more, that contentment. And again, contentment implies that you have something, and we all have something. Learning contentment. Whatever exists has already been named, and it is known what man is. For he cannot dispute with him who is stronger than he is. For there are many words which increase futility, what then is the advantage to a man? So I think what Solomon here is trying to do is to, to emphasize the fact that this is the plight of what man is and his experience, what his experience is. Whatever exists has already been named and is known what man is. I mean, everything that has come before us, we already have experienced you know, when you look at the thousands of years before our time when Solomon wrote these words, what he wrote is still true even today. This whole idea of having satisfaction, having contentment, uh, lacking satisfaction, all of those things are true even today. All the things that we've seen, the feelings that we have and and the experiences we have have already been named. 
And the experience of what man has and what he's teaching us here is something that's actually been known. One of the things about Solomon is he doesn't discover great new truths about the world. He writes them down and he expounds on them and he teaches the people. That's what made him wise is he actually took these things and gave them to us to apply them. But they're ideas that have been present even before. In fact, you could walk through this chapter and, and you could say, well, in chapter 5 and chapter 6, you can say he's actually helping expound the book of Job. And the story of Job certainly predates Solomon. And there's a chance that Solomon himself who is the one who had that recorded for us and preserved. But he's just teaching us things that were already taught in Job itself. If you look at a man who has many children and a man who has a great amount of wealth and somebody from a neighboring country comes and takes it all from him, well, that happened to, to Job himself. So this isn't new ideas. We know that this is what our existence is. It is known what man is. We all know that man lives a short, brief period of time and then he's gone. And you can't dispute that. And yet... Look at, look at what we are and, and who we are in this country even. <clears throat> it doesn't take much time to find that there are a lot of people who love to dispute even with people they, they can't make an argument against. It's kind of like you can argue with the IRS. It doesn't matter. What they say is going to go and it's going to happen. You can't dispute with those who are stronger than you are because they're going to do what they want to do anyway. Many words, all, all many words do is increase futility. If you doubt that, just get on Twitter. And the more words that are there, the more futility you realize there is. And there's no convincing people once they've decided. And certainly our purpose in life and what we're to accomplish in life is something that most people would have a hard time putting a finger on. And when they do, there's not much agreement. <clears throat> what is the advantage for man? For who knows what is good for a man during his lifetime, during the few years of his futile life? He will spend them like a shadow, for who can tell a man what will be after him under the sun? Again, you separate this life from heaven, from God himself looking down with his purposes and his plan for each and every person on this life, and you separate our existence from that, then it's good that He gives us good things that we can be distracted with. Again, it's a grace given to those who don't know. But for those of us who do know Christ, who do know God, who understand His plan of salvation, understand His plan from the beginning of time through eternity, what a great gift that is. For there's not a futility. Your life does matter, and as you progress through it, the things that, that God gives you, you can enjoy and you're supposed to enjoy. We are far above all others for we understand that these things can be enjoyed because life isn't futile. And that life does go on beyond death. There is an eternity to spend. Paul takes up these ideas as he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. 
1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So this sounds serious, right? We've got doctrines being taught by demons. Probably should pay attention. By means of the hypocrisy of liars seared by their own conscience as with a branding iron. So there's people that are going to come forth and teach these things that are actually the things that, that deceitful spirits and demons are teaching us. Men who forbid marriage and advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. Just really quick, this isn't a knock on Catholics, but come on, guys. It's pretty clear. Lent. Hopefully none of you decided that there are things that God's given you that are good, that should be enjoyed, that somehow you get yourself closer to God by by refusing the good things He's giving you for a time period. Just really quick, that's actually a doctrine of demons. The idea that God has given you good things to enjoy, that you should be grateful for, because you believe and know the truth. What is the truth that you believe and know? Well, it's that everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. For it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. So to escape the futility that is this life under the sun, this is how we do this. We understand that all these things were were created for us to share in because we believe and know the truth that everything is created by God is good. There's a song out now that says that everything was God made is good, and I actually think it was great. Um, I would agree with that. Everything that he's made, all those things that we can enjoy, whether it's, it's my gravel bike or your... Give me something somebody else has that they enjoy. <laughs> Whether it's that item or the other items that, that you have in your life that enjoy. I'll pick on Elise. Books. How many boxes of books do we move each time? I, I send them out, but they were 93 at one point. 93 boxes was our max at one point. Um, yeah, look, they're all amazed. See, I, I was right. That's a lot. So even those things that they're good and can be enjoyed. Each one of you has those things. Well, how do you enjoy them? You understand that you got them from God and He gave them to you to, for you to enjoy. Yes, Ross. You know, I, I can't help but think about all the advice we've been giving people about nutrition and how eggs shouldn't be eaten or how whole milk shouldn't be eaten or how butter is terrible for you. Um, and yeah. And I, you know, so, so most of that advice is bunk, right? Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. You know, I think everything in moderation, there, there's yeah. a verse someplace. Is that a verse? <laughs> Maybe it is. It is now. It should be. It should be, yeah. You know, I yeah. But uh, I, so having just redone my boards and, and I realized as I was going through all the questions, that a good 50% of that material wasn't there 10 years ago. Yeah. And what I, what the right answer 10 years ago wasn't the right answer today. 
Yeah. And, uh, and anyway, the it's kind of nice that half of it is still just practical common sense. And I think that's the that's thing. that's I the think, good part. I think as we go about life, we can say we can look at this and say that what God has put on this earth and for us is, is good. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned nutrition. I always just did one of the one of my favorite recommendations is that the best way to eat is you stay on the outside of the grocery store, right? You do the produce aisle, you do the meat section, and you do the dairy and the eggs. And once you enter the middle of the grocery store, it's different, it's different levels of hell when it comes to your nutrition. In fact, I include that whole, the, the, the sections that, that try to give you, I won't go off on supplements. I should. You can have too much of a good thing. Um, one, of the, one of the things that, that we do in cycling is after we cycle, we tend to take in some, something that helps decrease some sort of antioxidant. Blueberries, they're the best. You can take in that stuff, but they've now shown that if you take in too much of it, you actually decrease your body's own ability to fix itself because it doesn't need to make all these antioxidants of its own, and therefore it's now going to start relying on what you're taking in and your body does your body does it far better than you do just keep it simple anyway we're done with nutrition um, <laughs> but that's a great point um everything is created by god is good and nothing is to reject it if it's received with gratitude and sanctified by means of the word of god and prayer and and i think that's all all of that is important you don't want to just take one phrase of that or one verse of that you want to take this in the full context of what's being said here because there are things that god has given that are good and if you if you go after them with that whole attitude of uh of um desiring things beyond what's good for you um covetous attitude that type of thing, then you've gone outside of something that you can sanctify with the word of God and prayer. So if you can look in the Bible and see that this is how God designed it, and this is the way he says I should use things like food, um, like wine. Wine is a great example. Wine through the Old Testament, most of the times it's mentioned, it's mentioned as this is a good thing to look forward to. This is something you will drink in heaven. This is something you take when you're doing communion amongst yourselves. Is, is wine. It's a good thing. But it can, those are good ways it can be used. And, but it also talks about people who are drunkards. So can I, can I drink wine? Well, it was made by God as a good thing. If I use it the way that it has been sanctified by the word of God, it's set apart for here's, here's ways that it's good. And by one of those ways is that it's good is that people who have really hard, difficult lives to make their heart a little light, have a glass of wine. Timothy, you're sick, have a little wine. Don't get drunk. It's a good thing. So you sanctify these things by word of God and prayer. If you can pray about it, if you can find it in the word of God and you can enjoy it as something God has given, then great. Um, sex, right? Created by God. Good thing. Pursue that. Enjoy it with gratitude, but make sure that you sanctify it. Make sure it falls in the confines of which the word of God has said, here is a good way for that to be used. And that's within the marriage relationship. Make sure that you actually are falling in line with what the expectation of God is in those good things that you've been given. 
Your nutrition, exercise is another one of those. I should be careful, though, because some people say I do that too much. And then one other spot in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6. we'll just start there in verse 6. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. And this is speaking, the context here is speaking about those who actually labor in the Word and receive their income from that. And those who are actually using the teaching of the Word as a way for them to have, to get more money and more things and more possessions and more power. And it says that this godliness, this this pursuing being a minister of Christ is a means of great gain when it's accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world so we can take nothing out of it either. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction." For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So, as a summary of what it is that Solomon is teaching Again, Paul is expounding upon it for us and is helping apply it to our lives as believers here. Specifically, this is, again, believers who are ministers of God's Word. But I think it applies to all of us. The the concept there, I think you can take and apply to your own heart, that the key here is contentment with the good that God has given. For for we have brought nothing into this world. This is echoing what we just read in, in Ecclesiastes. So we can take nothing out of it either. Understand that your life is really short and the stuff you have is, is very temporary. The stuff you have will, will break and be destroyed. I'd say 10 years from now, if I look out there, none of the cars that I see out there will be here. Not that they won't still exist. It's just you guys will all have moved on to something else. I know I will. So there's even, even the things that we have that do last a long, long time, we don't tend to hold on to them ourselves. You're not taking any of this with you. So what's the key here for the believer? If we have food and covering, you shall be content. Doesn't mean you can't enjoy those things. It just means that if you don't have them, don't start pursuing them with all your heart, soul, and mind. Those who want to get rich, you need to understand you will fall into a temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires plunge men into ruin and destruction. So if you want to end up in ruin and destruction, pursue those things. Pursue those things that bring that about. And what is that that brings that about? The love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. We've already covered that wealth and everything that falls under the term wealth 
is a good thing given by God. But if you love it, if you desire for it, if your passion is to get more of whatever the, it is, don't just say cash here. Whatever that thing is that God's given that is good, if your desire is to pursue it, that desire is a root of all sorts of evil. To the fact that it can become so powerful and strong that it pulls you away even from the faith, even from what you know to be true in your understanding and your love of Christ. And it'll end up, you'll end up being pierced with many griefs. You know, an important thing, again, as we're raising children, not only in our own lives, but as we raise our children, helping them understand that you pursue things like this and you pursue what money is and what money can buy, you're looking at a very sad life in the future. It's no, it's no wonder that God, when He granted Solomon whatever He wished and Solomon asked for wisdom to judge His people, rather than this, God said, okay, I'm going to give you even the money part to enjoy. And finally there, if you flee from those things, if you learn contentment and pursue righteousness, you should instead then pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. All these things, the way I would say it is that um, we as believers have a very special understanding of the fact that this life fell into sin in the garden. And the world as God created it has never been as good as it was then. And we look forward to a time when Christ comes and reigns on this earth again and restores all things to himself. We could have gone to Colossians and find out that that's what this world is all about. It's when, when Christ reconciles all of the earth back to himself because without the idea that that there is a life after death without the knowledge that that we can be raised again without Christ having first been the first fruits of that the first one to be raised from the from the grave and granted a glorified body because of him and what he's done everything that takes place in this life can now be enjoyed because we have that hope in Him. We as Christians can actually, through contentment, take everything God hands us and enjoy it to its fullest. And I encourage you to do so. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank You so much that we can enjoy even even church this morning. We can enjoy the food that uh, a lot of these here have prepared for, for lunch today. We can enjoy all of the, the pastimes and recreation we have planned for this weekend. We can enjoy the homes we live in, the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, Lord. These can all be enjoyed as gifts from You if we are content, Lord. Without contentment, Lord, it becomes futility and pain in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that we would see that, that You would help us understand that. But Lord, we understand that, that the only way any of these things are good is because and the only way any of these things have lasting value in our hearts and minds is because of what your son did on the cross for us, Lord. We just thank you and praise you for that. And we look forward to the day when we can all gather as the church of God, be free from sin, and enjoy you for all eternity. It's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen.